0: This is Adam Pawatik from the CRE Podcast. I wanted to talk to you about the episode that you're about to hear. It was recorded just before COVID-19 became the omnipresent pandemic that it is now. This episode was recorded just at the end of February, and then it unfortunately got uh, trapped in our office, which was you know, responsibly shut down as, as most other offices have done. But the content was trapped in our office. We have managed to free it, and we're going to release it now. It is great content, I want you to enjoy it, but I also want to set the context. This was recorded just before COVID-19 was getting going, and that is why some of the references might seem a little disjointed from the current reality. Enjoy. Welcome to the CRE Podcast, 100% Canadian, 100% commercial real estate. Now here are your hosts, Erin Cameron and Adam Pawlik.
1: Welcome to the Commercial Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Aaron Cameron. With me as always is Adam Poatic. I'd like to thank our sponsor, First National. Today, our guest is a gentleman by the name of Benjamin Scheinwald, who is the president and CEO of BOMA Canada. Thanks for coming on, Ben.
2: It's great to be here. Thanks for having me.
1: Yeah, this is an exciting episode. You know, Adam and I do a lot of podcasts talking to a lot of real estate owners, whether they're REITs or whatever it may be. This is a subject that's a little bit outside of our realm. So, hopefully, we're going to learn something, but the listeners may struggle sometimes when Adam and I sound like we don't have any idea what we're talking about. <laughs> the reality is, we probably have no idea what we're talking about. So, apologies in advance. So, Ben, I think you've said you've listened to a couple of these, so you know, the gig. Let's start with how you got into real estate or
2: what led up to your current role, whether that's real estate or not. Thanks again for having me. I'm delighted to be here. I've got a really unusual story. In fact, arguably, I'm not even in real estate, just to entice your listeners all the more. <laughs> you know, We just I, lost I,
1: a whole bunch of listeners. <laughs>
2: <yeah>. <laughs> no, but I support the industry, but I don't actually work in real estate. And the associations that support the industry are really at the periphery of the industry, but our job is to make the industry thrive and succeed. And that's what we try to do. And so I think there's sort of two ways that you can end up in a position like mine, running one of the national organizations for commercial estate in Canada. One is to be an insider, a veteran, somebody who has got the Rolodex, got the insight, got the knowledge in terms of what to do and how to drive an organization and therefore that section of the industry forward. That is not me. There are other examples out there, and a great example of that is Michael Brooks at RailPack, who I enjoyed listening to on a previous episode. I come from a non-real estate background, but I guess the board who hired me saw a skill set in my background and in my strengths, such as they are, to drive forward. So by training, I'm a lawyer, and I practiced commercial law at a downtown Toronto law firm for a few years. Then I went off and actually moved to Ottawa, where I worked in government and in public policy. So I was at uh, the Privy Council office, which is sort of the center of policymaking and execution for the federal government. And I was there on economic policy for a few years. Then I actually went and I worked and ended up running Canadian Jewish Congress, which is not exactly commercial, but gave me skills for organizations, for stakeholders, for getting ahead of steam around ideas and so forth. And from there, I came to Boma. So I walked in not knowing much about real estate. I owned a house. But because of that background, I think whatever success I've had has been because of the skills I picked up along the way.
0: Definitely not a linear arc in terms of a planned
2: career path, but it seems to have worked out for you. Yeah, I tell people that this is not a good thing or a bad thing, but you could not have planned my career. Just impossible, frankly. And it's funny, I'm coming up on eight years in the job, and I never imagined I'd be in this job as long as I've been, and I'm I'm having a ball. Well, it does give you something similar to actual real estate practitioners because they, for the most part, didn't know they're going to
0: be in real estate by the time they ended up in it. It's a pretty common theme, especially with the older generation, that the career arc was a similar kind of erratic pattern to get them into commercial real estate. So you, you do share that.
1: Bizarrely, it's often around cars. I saw an uncle or somebody driving a really nice car and found out they were in real estate. So I got in real estate to have nice cars. I don't know why, but that's, that's come up a couple of times. Anyway.
0: What kind of car do you drive? Yeah, not a, not a Honda
1: CRV. Thank you. I'm proud of it. Fits the car seats. Pits the baby seats. So let's start first and foremost. What does BOMA stand for? And then what is BOMA?
2: Sure. So BOMA is the Building Owners and Managers Association, in my case of Canada. There are 11 chapters, local associations across Canada from BOMA, BC out west to BOMA, Newfoundland, Labrador out east. So we sort of cover the gamut of the country, big and small markets and so forth. And we are part of an international affiliation through BOMA International, which is based in Washington, DC. And there are, I think, 16 international affiliates and growing around the world, not all of which carry the BOMA name, but many do. It started in Canada? No, but close. So it started, I'm almost positive, in Chicago and then quickly moved to Vancouver. And when I say it started and quickly moved, like it started in Chicago. Around 115 years ago, and moved to Vancouver a couple of years later. So we're a very, very mature organization.
1: As so nonprofit,
2: yeah, we're a nonprofit association. Yeah, okay. exactly.
0: Is there any Canadian markets not yet conquered that you want to see under the
2: umbrella? We do talk about adjusting the federated model, but the way that we work is that we've allocated territory, physical geography, to each of our 11 associations. So. There ain't a whole lot of activity in Nunavut, but that is technically part of Boma, Manitoba in our world. And we do have certifications for our program up there as well.
0: Okay, so the map is complete. The map is
2: complete. I mean, whether or not we can adjust it from time to time to have better service in this or that community is, I suppose, a conversation we could have. There was a Boma Atlantic about 10 years ago. Then it broke into three different local chapters because it's ultimately a very grassroots organization. So talk about
1: the service. You mentioned the service. What is the service that you provide?
2: Sure. So the way BOMA works is we're a federated model. So there are, as I say, 11 chapters, 11 local associations around the country. And chiefly attracting asset managers, property managers, building operators, and the vendors who sort of feed into that part of the industry, those people will join their local chapter. So if you're sitting in Calgary, you'll join BOMA Calgary. If you're sitting in Ottawa, you join BOMA Ottawa. And they provide all the typical industry association programs and values that you'd expect networking, advocacy, education, a little bit of social, awards, and so on and so forth. BOMA Canada exists, and we're about 50 years old, but really we're sort of 25 years old in our current state, to provide that sort of federal overlay. So there's lots of things that we can do that we couldn't do from Calgary, no offense to Calgary, that must be national. And so that's where we come in. We run national programs, national overlay for awards, for advocacy, and so forth.
1: What kind of support do you provide to the individual chapters as the Canadian organization?
2: Sure. We run all sorts of different programs and projects. So we have a very robust thought leadership activity, for instance. So we will attract volunteers from across the country, from across the membership, and then they will feed in either through a facilitated session or not into producing thought leadership, chiefly in terms of guides. So if you go to BoomaCanada.ca/resources. You'll see about a dozen or so different guides that you can download for free ranging across all different topics. I should say everything is also available in French by default and we even have guides available in Spanish and Chinese and so that'll be one way that we can provide value to the underlying membership.
1: You may not want to answer this question but yeah, I'll sure. ask it anyway. Do you ever have chapters kind of go rogue and start doing something You're like, I'm not sure we really want you doing that and support that. You got to pull them back. Like, no, no, no. Stay in your lane.
2: So the strengths and weaknesses. here's my Don't Ottawa give me a political, political answer. Political, yeah. Yeah. Dude, no, you're but, picturing
1: 1960s
0: style union stuff? Yeah, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> give stre- us the dirt, come the- on.
2: <laughs> <laughs> the mics are on and the hard <laughs> questions come. No, I mean, the truth is that the strengths and weaknesses of a federated model are the same thing. Ultimately, you have 11 chapters, let's call them, they're called local associations in our lingo, who are all independent of each other and who all collectively own us, but we're independent of them. And then we're affiliated with Boma International in Washington, D.C., and the same thing repeats across itself. And in the States, there's 90-odd chapters, and then you added Boma Mexico and Boma China and Boma South Africa and so forth. And you can see that there are challenges in hurting these cats. And this is really an issue of hurting cats. At the same time, it allows fantastic flexibility because what succeeds in Edmonton does not succeed in Toronto. I'll give you a great example I'm going to Edmonton in a couple of weeks for their annual gala. They get something like 800 people to their annual gala on a Saturday night. You could not get eight people to a gala in Toronto on Saturday night. It's just different culture, right? So there's a way. We're all watching the the Leafs game. (laughs) Good luck to you. That's a small way of showing the strengths and the weaknesses of the model. So let's talk a little bit more in depth
1: maybe let's start with Boma Best. I think that's probably sure. what most people are familiar with with Boma. That's probably the most outward-facing sort of public enterprise you guys have. So, Well, Benjamin, uh, noticed on the way into our building today, it is slapped on the front, so it is topical to and it's, and it's, prevalent. it's not
2: slapped. <laughs> it's adhered with delicacy <laughs> and care yeah. and honor.
1: Yeah. Fair. My own familiarity with Boma probably starts and stops with just those emblems sort of on the front of buildings. So maybe talk about what that is and with the qualification requirements, sure. et cetera, et cetera.
2: Sure, sure. It's amazing to see the emblems actually catch people's attention. And it's happening after some hard work, and I'll explain the story. So, I want to say 15 ish years ago, long before my time, I'm eight years in the job next month, building operators, property managers came together and sort of said, Hey, we're hearing about this new concept. We don't know what it is. It's called sustainability. And it sounds crazy in 2020, but that's true. They did not know what it was. There's a story in the industry, and it's a true story of somebody who wanted to put in quote-unquote, green carpeting into a renovation retrofit.
1: Not the color green.
2: That's what happened. They ordered green carpeting and it actually arrived colored green, like a mini golf course. <laughs> so that's how unsophisticated things were back then and the world was just waking up to it. So they did what they were supposed to do. They came to their association and they said, help us. This is an industry-wide problem. It's not a problem for this company or for that company. It's a collective action problem. And so my predecessors created a program that's now called Boma Best which is a certification and a management tool, frankly, to help building operators, property managers, certify the operations of their building. So we're not talking about design, we're not talking about construction, we're not talking about other aspects, corn shell and so forth. The building is built. It can be big, it can be small, it can be beautiful, it can be ugly. Urban, suburban, rural, any purpose under the sun, office, retail, residential, the principles are the same. And over the course of several iterations in time, we now have ourselves, frankly, a house on fire. The program is exploding. We're about doubled since the time that I arrived about eight years ago. We have over 3,000 certifications. That's a lot of buildings. We're fully GRESB accredited for full points for those who are tracking themselves in GRESB. And we are ex- just
1: explain that real quick? Sure. We haven't had talked about it before, but just so that if it's first-time listeners.
2: Good point. Thank you for that. Yeah, the Global Real Estate Sustainability Benchmark does for entities what we do for buildings. So a large institutional owner-manager of property will have a collective score for how they're doing across their portfolio. And one of the key inputs is how many BOMA best certifications you have. And the biggest firms in the country really compete hard and they really care about how they score. And to
1: finish the circle, that's so that from when they're in capital, that's something that a lot of the investors are looking at and what their GRES scores are now.
2: Absolutely, 100%. And it's really, really interesting how, in this industry, uniquely to my knowledge, sustainability and profitability go hand in hand. And that's not a cliche. I'll explain for you what I mean. In other industries, and you know, pick your industry. There will be sustainability initiatives, they may be so-called greenwashing, they may be totally part of the central purpose and core mission of the industry or the company, but only in real estate do you drive absolute profit or absolute bottom line success through sustainability. The reason is simple, if you can make your building operations more efficient by having lower consumption of energy, water, waste, and so forth, guess what? you're spending less money on those services. If you spend less money on those services and the building's otherwise the same, the asset value goes up. If the asset value goes up, the rents go up and the rent retention is stronger. When I go to Ottawa, for instance, I tell the government, I say, you know, you guys can magically solve climate change tomorrow. My members will still do my best because it's a way to drive capital E efficiency. Profitability. We're tied in so well. It's such a beautiful aspect of this industry that I really, really love. So
1: on BOMA Best, are there scales? You've got gold, silver, bronze. Like How does that work? Yeah, I- sure. I'm bringing in leads, and maybe that's the next question. Is how sure. does leads and BOMA coexist? Are you competitors, or what does the relationship look like? Sure. Answer the first question, and then maybe go to the second Okay, one, yeah. Okay, so
2: the first one is really easy to answer. Yes, there are five levels. There's certified, which is simply best practices. There's no performance requirements at all, no thresholds. And then there's bronze, silver, gold, and shockingly platinum. And as you go up, of course, the thresholds become higher and higher, but it's mostly focused, again, on operations. The idea is not to have to force you to spend money on CapEx. There's tons you can do simply by operating the existing building better, although at the higher levels, gold and platinum you start to engage things around capital investment. In the Canadian market, or the Toronto market, how many platinum buildings would you count? Around 10% of our stock is platinum, so around okay. 300 buildings. I don't know how many are in Toronto, but a lot of them would be. I just got back two weeks ago from Mexico. We just gave our first platinum certification in Mexico City to a spectacular AXA insurance building in that city. Yeah, Very cool. Okay. Yeah, So let's thought do so
1: the relationship between yeah. Leeds and BOMA and how they coexist.
2: Sure, yeah. Get along with them very well. I know my counterpart, Thomas Mueller, quite well. We've had joint board meetings, they compete with us in the teeniest sense. And really, we really are not designed this way, but really we're serving different parts of the market. So BOMA Best really is designed at day-to-day operational performance, building operators and property managers. I really don't like to describe lead for others because I don't want to represent or misrepresent them by accident. But you know, I can tell you that the lead existing building in Canada my there's a couple of hundred, I think, maybe a little bit less. I'm not sure. Again, I'm nervous to represent them. I would suspect that if, let's say there's 200 existing buildings, we've got quite a large number of oh Best 150 plus will also be certified by us. Right. So they do different things as well. So maybe let's dive
1: in a little bit before we move on to a bunch of the other the initiatives that you've got. You talk about getting that certification and a yep. bunch of different things that they can do within their infrastructure to become certified in the different layers what are the types of things you see? I'm assuming you're talking HVAC and and energy efficient windows and all that kind of stuff. Can you just give some examples?
2: Yeah, for sure. I mean, it can be as simple as a recycling policy. I mean, at the lowest level, it's policies, right? So there's 16 best practices, I'm simplifying a little little bit, around things like energy, water, waste, recycling, so forth, site as well. Once you have that in place, and we've developed a way, an ISO compliant way to certify buildings on a portfolio basis. So we actually are unique in that you could come to us and say, hey, we've got 100 or even more, 500 buildings. We can, through the portfolio basis, do that initial level of certification across the entire portfolio and then assess each building by building is a way that we do it with a ratio that then will certify the entire pool of assets. And that's the way that things are going quite strongly for us, where owner-managers are saying it's the efficient way for them to do it. Yeah, so once you get that initial level of certification in, there's around 175 questions depending on the asset type. We have seven different asset classes, so office, light industrial, open-air retail, enclosed retail, multi-residential, unit is that four or five of us? <laughs> Got it, yeah. Uh, healthcare, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, universal and so forth. To talk fast enough, right. or will lose count. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really good at it. I, just, I should have been counting my fingers. Sorry, <laughs> I may have forgotten one. And after that initial level of the certified level, the questionnaires start to get tailored because the operational characteristics of the different asset classes change. And they're designed so that they should be progressive. So you shouldn't be encountering a question Now, if you had question 100 and you're starting to peter out and maybe you're going to get a bronze or a silver, question 150 shouldn't even appear. So it should be graduated that way.
0: If you have an old, outdated building you've been ignoring for 20 years and you've made no efforts into this, but now you want to, what is the low-hanging fruit you can do to A, work towards accreditation, but it's more importantly, actually improve the efficiency in your building?
2: Yeah, those are the buildings that people think are the laggards. They're the ones that are most exciting for us because the opportunities are so great and we tell people, just start. And every now and then someone says to us, well, we want to do bone well my best. And we, we used to get this more than we do now. But first, we got to get our act in order. And then we'll come and we'll certify. And we say, no, no, that's the opposite. That's like saying, I'm going to get in shape. And first, I'll start working out and dieting. And then I'll go on the scale and find out what my weight is. Well, yeah. well no, you know, just start. Just start. Just the old Nike, just do it. And so we would look at that building or the person doing that, whether it's the owner manager or his or her building operator or a consultant and consultants are often driving this, though not always. And you would start by saying, okay, let's get these 16 best practices in place. And if you don't have that, that truly is, to use a real estate term, the foundation. If you don't have policies around energy use, <laughs> energy efficiency, you can't capture higher level energy efficiency objectives. And the funny thing is, Adam, that interestingly enough, there was a study done on us a few years ago. We weren't even aware of it. It was done to us, I suppose, not by us. And it found that the biggest benefits of Boma Best, fascinatingly, are not at certification; they're at recertification. Because at certification, you're just getting going. You're just getting into shape. But you know, when you come around for your renewal in three or five years, depending on which stream you're in, you've learned a lot, and the program has driven your team to capture those benefits, and they've engaged. And they know, oh, if I do this over the next few years, I can get more points. And we are not a points chasing system. The points really are designed for performance. And so it's at that renewal stage that people see things really explode. You mentioned at the start that you're a thought
0: leader in a number of areas and folks in a number of sections. We kind of did a quick rundown before we started recording here. You're into pandemic, cybersecurity, 5G, electric resilience awards program. Out of all of those. I know which one I want to talk about right now. And for people listening, we are recording March, I think, 2nd right now. March 2nd. We got to talk about pandemic. That's the one that I think is, it st- sticks out to me as most captivating in the imagination, yeah, the current climate. It's, it's Monday, March 2nd,
1: 2020. For those that are listening to this six months later, this is the Monday after. So we just had one of the worst trading weeks in history and coronavirus is all everyone's talking about. So let's talk about what you guys are doing as far as thought leaders in that space.
2: Sure, it's a fantastic case study. So again, before my time, but there's many people still very much around who were involved in it, the industry was not ready for SARS when it came 10, 12 years ago, something like that, maybe a bit longer. And at first you sort of say, well, SARS and real estate, what's the big deal? Well, well think about it. We own and manage the malls. We own and manage many apartment buildings. We own and manage almost all the commercial office, office, office space. space. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Everybody is in our buildings all the time. And so coming out of SARS, some very wise people in the industry, people like Cheryl Gray, at Quadreal, Randall Rothbard, who's a lawyer here in town, and others came together and said, let's have some lessons learned. And they produced a pandemic guide. And the pandemic guide kind of sat on the vine for a long time. And a few years ago, we said, hey, you know, this could happen again. We should dust it off and revisit it. And so working with a woman named Susan Bazak, who's a consultant in this area, and she's excellent, we sort of, prophylactically developed this guide. Just, it's there. And in fairness, outside of SARS, outside of coronavirus, flu season comes every year, and it's increasingly a concern. I'll mention by the by. My wife had influenza last year, and she was in bed for a week. (laughs) And did Um, she get it at work? (laughs) Probably. (laughs) We don't know. We don't know. (laughs) Not for my kids, thank goodness. (laughs) Not to my kids either. So anyway, so there's always a need for this kind of stuff. Well, lo and behold, here we are in March 2020, as you say. Coronavirus has emerged, and, well, we all hope that it will dissipate soon, it's getting to be a a bigger deal. So the guide, which is available on our website for free, and it's been going off like you wouldn't believe, getting downloaded, is a primer on things to think about. We can't give epidemiological advice. We can't be a public health authority and say, this is how you treat it, but we can give best practices. We can refer people to proper sources. And in fact, at the moment, we're actually less than 48 hours away from convening an industry emergency summit on coronavirus, which we'll be hosting at the Mars facility here in Toronto With people dialing in from across the country, bringing in experts, including from the Cleveland Clinic, to start a discussion around how the industry should react in terms of how should we manage our own companies, our own member staff, how should we assist our tenants, and then how should we deal with public-facing issues, rumors, and so forth. We're quite excited is the wrong word because it's a health issue, but there's a lot of attention around that. I should say there's another guide coming out soon. We got a sponsor for this guide in DCS Global who are terrific. And they want to do a second guide soon, going even deeper into the issue. And because of the relationship that we have with Boma China, which is actually run by a Canadian in Beijing named Dominic Lau, the guide actually exists in simplified Chinese. So it's going across the epicenter of the outbreak right now and hopefully helping them as well. Timely. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That one was timely for sure.
1: Let's stay on the thought leadership. Train, so to speak. You know, last week we were at Real Capital recording some podcasts with our partners in Forma. And one of the big topics that kind of came up over and over again was climate change and just how that's starting to creep into real estate property managers and owners of just, wait a minute, how does that impact valuations? How does that impact the way that I approach managing my business? I'm assuming you've got some policy out there for that as well.
2: Yeah, it's a neat story. A few years ago, we convened a group of industry stakeholders around climate change and commercial real estate. I talk about how BOMA Best is about mitigating the building's impact on the environment. Climate change, for me, is about mitigating the environment's impact on the building. It's about keeping the floodwaters out, keeping the dirty air out, all that kind of stuff. Flooding is definitely the key issue in Canada, and we've partnered with the Intact Center on Climate Adaptation. From from a a cost perspective,
0: that would be the biggest one?
2: Yeah, from an everything perspective, flooding is an issue in Canada. We're not as prepared as we should be as a country, compared to sort of pure countries, if I can put it that way. So we convened this group, and it was a group of sort of the usual suspects, which is to say it was the sustainability teams from the biggest owner-managers in the country, And it didn't take much to convince them. They walked in convinced, but the consensus was we got to get the attention of the C-suite. And so we worked hard. By C-suite,
1: just in case people aren't following, you just mean like CEOs, COOs, just the exactly. chiefs of our entities or corporations. Yeah,
2: exactly. The leadership, the senior leadership sure. of the industry. And so we wrote a guide Again, it's available on our website. And it's kind of an overview. It's not a flooding guide. It's not an urban heat guide and so forth. It was a really sort of a general primer, and I kind of imagine a little sort of visualization exercise in my head of success for me is somebody reading these guides on their commute, on the way to work, on the SkyTrain in Vancouver, on the Go train in Toronto. Oh, that was a good 20 minutes spent, you know, walking in, knocking on the door of their neighbor and giving it to them. That's at a level of depth. We don't want to freak people out with the complications. So we did that, and what's really interesting is around the same time I had breakfast with somebody in the C-suite, somebody in the senior leadership of the industry, and pitched him on climate change and the importance of the industry to get ahead of this. And it wasn't a rude response at all, but it was a sort of dispassionate response. No, we're not there yet. Frankly, Benjamin, it's just cheaper to repair afterwards, and the tenants don't want the disruption. We're going to be reactive on this one. And let's move on to our next topic of our breakfast conversation. And I met the same person, I think it was two years later. And <laughs> he has forgotten the conversation, obviously, because he was imploring me that BOMA ah, should do more ah, ah. to get the industry ready for climate change. Can you tell us who it is? I can't. Can you it tell us, what's our I time can't. frame this is, is the yeah, opinion yeah, shifted? Yeah. Oh, recent. I mean, okay. that second breakfast would have been less than two years ago. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah. So we spent last year, we had this primer out and we also were working on a protocol, which is not a certification, but sort of a template that you can use to walk around your building and say, okay, for instance, where are the servers? Are the servers in the basement? Is that a good idea? Are they on risers? If the water comes in, are they the first to go? Those kinds of things, we have a template that we're working on right now as well. We finished the overall one, which again is available for free on our website. Then we partnered, as I mentioned, with the Intech Center for Climate Adaptation and RealPack, and did a big deep dive into floodwaters. And that's really their job, is to do flood. And we supported that. That came out last year. And we've had Blair Feltmate and Natalia Mudrak, who are the brains and energy behind that organization, at our Bomex conference every September as well. This year, we reconvened just recently, and we had a kickoff meeting, and it was literally overflowing. I mean, we didn't have enough chairs in the room. We ran out of sandwiches and that kind of stuff. So the interest is there. And we've decided we're going to work on a different, if I can call it a vertical, every year. So flooding is done. And the thing we're working on this year is urban heat. And so what do you do on horribly hot summer days in Canada? And it's day one, so I cannot tell you what the content is because it doesn't exist yet. But you can imagine there being different challenges and occasionally opportunities across different asset classes. If you're a multi-unit residential building, it's a different consideration depending on your tenant mix than if you're a major shopping center. People tend to go to cool off Whether that's a good idea or not. Everything from preventative to during to how to respond. You can look for that coming up in the next few months.
1: What are the other verticals? What are the, have you identified others? I mean, you mentioned dirty yeah. air. There's a third one. What would be the other sort of considerations that you believe climate change may have an impact on real estate?
2: Sure. I think flooding is by far the first, and I think urban heat is the right second one. Are you going um, biggest to smallest in terms of priorities? Well, I mean, biggest to smallest in the sense that we want to do the next most important one next. Why bother going to the bottom of the list? After urban heat, you know, I said dirty air, but I think what that really means is forest fires. So there's parts of the country, the Fort McMurray fires last year. My recollection, I hope I'm not wrong on this, is that there were air quality issues in Edmonton. So how do you manage to keep people healthy and safe inside the buildings? Other things that we could work on down the road would be things like wind, so hurricanes and so forth in part of the country. Potentially earthquakes, so that's a little more regulatory. There's another one that I just forgot. Shoot. Shoot. It'll come to you as soon as we hit stop. Ice storms. I mean, how do you deal with ice storms and snowstorms and such? And you know, there's a discussion around the industry these days, I'm not sure if we're there yet or not, around things like shelter in place. I mean, should you be able to help people in the event they get stranded? So those are the kind of things we're talking about.
1: Very interesting. Yeah. This is kind of within ESG, which is a, a major topic. Are there other components to the environment that you're also working on that's not necessarily directly related to climate change?
2: Yeah, well, I I think the two ways to look at the environment in general, in terms of climate change anywhere, mitigation and adaptation. So mitigation, BOMA best, is really driving the industry forward. And we do an annual report called the National Green Building Report. Again, it's available on our website. And it's working. Like our buildings have the delta between the performance of our building on a sustainability metric and the average in the industry is clear as day. And then on the adaptation side, it's the climate change stuff. We do have other emerging issues. So there's a brand new initiative that we're working with around forestry and biodiversity. It's day one, so I wasn't at the meeting myself. I can't talk to it too much. And then I think the next big one, which we're starting to work on as well, is the so-called circular economy. And the idea there is that everything's in a loop and there is no waste. And everything's just an input for something else. And how can you bring that into real estate? Think about fit up for retail stores, for example. Think about construction. Think about any number of things. Interesting. Yeah.
1: Let's move on to sort of technology. Before we started, you talked about a number of different things, 5G, EV cars, cybersecurity. cybersecurity. So why don't we start there and you can kind of tell us other things that you were kind of working on again from that sort of thought leadership perspective.
2: Sure. I mean, the term PropTech didn't exist a couple of three years ago. It's a new term, but it is a term that I hear every single day.
0: And I actually read earlier today, suddenly $12 billion in investment in prop tech predicted for 2020. And as you said, it didn't exist just a couple of years ago. I
2: totally believe it. I get invited to conferences all the time. It's a stay-awake issue. And it's an interesting stay-awake issue because it's a stay-awake issue in the opportunity side and in the risk side. And so on the cyber side, for example, I was pulled aside at our annual conference when it was here in Toronto, I think in 2017, called Bomex. And someone said to me, actually, to mention her name again, Cheryl Gray, who said to me, hey, you know, back in the day when we did the pandemic guide, there was a sense the industry wasn't ready for it, and so we convened a group. And she said to me, I think the same thing's happening with cyber. And I said, that's really interesting. And anyway, one thing led to another. And now with the amazing support of MNP, who is giving us true thought leadership, and with the support of Genitech, a great Canadian success story in cybersecurity in Montreal, and Marsh Insurance has also been fantastic in their cyber practice, we've convened a table of industry leaders. and It's a really interesting table. It's people who are involved in general operations at a higher level. It's people who are involved in security and cybersecurity. It's people who are involved in IT and OT. It's a whole sort of mishmash of people. And we wrote a primer, and the primer was on, with the help of a terrific writer, the primer was on cybersecurity and building operations. We were not talking about email or payroll or whatever. It was HVAC, it was parking attendance, it was elevators, it was all those things. And guess what? It really took off when it was released. And we said, okay, well, Let's not just stop. There's much more to cyber than just this. So last year that same group came together and we did a guide on cyber and procurement. So how do you procure services in a cyber secure manner? This year we're doing cyber and vendor management. So there'll be a third guide will come out in time for Bomex this year in September. And then next year I suspect we'll do incident response. So what happens when there's an incident? It is endless. At the same time, we have a new initiative that we're working on on 5G. And 5G is coming and it is completely unclear as to how it's going to affect real estate. And again, it's not about 5G and downloading your Netflix movie while you're waiting in line at the airport. It's about 5G and building operations and commercial real estate business. So when the cables come for 5G, is it one cable or is it one cable per carrier? Are the building owner managers going to pay for it? Is it going to be neutral, or is it going to be a potentially a profit center? Is it an amenity for tenants? Is it a follow-up? All those kind of things. So we're working with a group of really excellent volunteers, again, from across the biggest players in the industry, and bringing in the carriers to begin a conversation around this stuff.
0: And 5G will be the new standard. <clears throat> it won't be viewed as a premium item. It'll be required to standard buildings in a very short
2: period of time. Absolutely. And we've got to be ready for it when it comes.
0: How vulnerable is, we'll take Toronto's we're in Toronto right now, how vulnerable is, are we
2: here in the cybersecurity department? I don't think there's an answer to that question because I think we're at a point right now where the industry recognizes that there are risks. And as David Sulston, a key member of our group from Oxford Properties, says, he puts it better than I'll put it, but it's not really a question of if, but when. And not even a matter of if, but when, but if, but when and how. So I'm being kind of confusing here. What I mean is that there are going to be issues. There probably have been issues that people are happy to talk about these issues in public at a general level, but when it's your company, your building, you start to clamp down on it. And so the question becomes, how do you minimize the frequency of cyber insecure moments, cyber attacks and so forth? Even more important than that, in my view, how do you minimize the, or mitigate the intensity or the effect of these things. It is impossible to be cyber secure 100% today. It just is. So you got to make sure that you've got as secure a system as you can and that you're doing all you can So because the time will come, if not already, when the boards of these companies will start asking the CEOs what's going on. I guarantee what's happened already and they may even start forming cybersecurity subcommittees of the board. And so the answer is to do all these things that we're talking about. I say there's a famous case, we have it in one of our guides, it's public knowledge of a casino in Las Vegas. They had a giant aquarium, fish tank in their casino, and they had a thermostat to measure and regulate the temperature of the water, and the thermostat was insecure, and cyber criminals managed to steal the personal data of all their high rollers, credit card numbers and social security numbers. From a thermostat fish tank thing, it's crazy. <laughs>
1: yeah, that's
2: that's crazy. the level of care you got to take.
1: We had a guest. I apologize, whoever they were, I can't remember who was telling us the story, but it was along the same lines. And they were talking about not an IT perspective, but more like you're building infrastructure. And it was an American story. And I'll repeat it just in case people haven't listened to that episode. But they were doing like a survey or investigation on that particular asset. And the Ministry of Defense, or the American Defense Department, was in the building in one of the units, and they had done everything they could on the retrofit of the building to make sure they were totally protected. However, the building had the servers for the entire, like the input of the servers into the building were out in the open in the parking lot. Anybody could just walk in and plugged into all the information they're doing in and out of that building because it just wasn't, they had no gate on it, no (laughs) nothing, right? And so it's that kind of thing that I think some of your clients or your members are worried about. Well, even the arms race aspect to it as well.
0: I mean, if you do manage to achieve something approximating perfect security. It's just an arm race. It's six months and you're going to have exactly. a new technology that's going to pace it. And especially when you're up against people as clever as the ones that got in through the thermostat. You know They're pretty sharp at their end too.
2: That's, that's tough. My understanding, I'm not an expert in these things, is it's not a matter of somebody discovered the thermostat. They're just digits. They're just numbers, but they just keep looking for an insecure spot. They may not have even known it was a thermostat, but someone didn't secure that. I'll tell you a quick little anecdote, which I find fascinating. I think I owe this to David Sulston as well at Oxford. One of the key ways of breaking into somebody's system is to walk into their office for whatever reason, You know, maybe you're in a suit and tie or ladies equivalent, and you accidentally, quote unquote, I'm using air quotes here on the podcast, drop a USB key, which of course will have infections in it and will allow you to access their system. The way that you get the people to actually stick the USB key into their corporate computer, is by putting a single word in marker or in a label outside the USB key. You're both squinting your eyes. <laughs> My um, mind's it, racing. I'm trying to figure it out. It uh, begins with a letter P. <laughs>
0: <laughs> really? <laughs> uh, human availability. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. So the word that you want to put on that is payroll <laughs> so you see oh that's interesting that's payroll eh? okay i'll quietly put that in my pocket and plug it in i wonder how much i make compared to my buddy i was thinking porn i guess was yeah. way. Uh, <laughs> no no i'm not sure you want to yeah i knew it was <laughs> payroll the entire time yeah, <laughs> yeah so that's a technique that cyber criminals use wow and, yeah yeah
0: oh yeah the flaws of human beings is one of the greatest access points to networks networks otherwise operate without the absolutely. curiosity that
2: we would absolutely
1: You mentioned it earlier in the podcast, but let's talk about BOMA International and, and just Canada's place within the greater infrastructure of the institution.
2: Sure. You know, we're really proud of our role in the BOMA International system. BOMA International are our partners and our allies based in DC, and they've been internationalizing themselves more and more on our urging, and we're grateful for that. The place we probably most connect with BOMA International is on the awards side, so we run awards programs across the country. Our chapters do those. Some chapters do them every year, some chapters every other year. Some of the smaller ones less frequently than that. And then if you win locally, and they're by and large property management awards, then you'll move up to the national stage and we'll have our awards gala every year at our Bomex conference this year in Vancouver, September 22nd, 3rd and 4th. And even once you're coming out of the local awards, you're really a well-run building. They are very competitive awards and I think it's one of our strongest areas. It's, it's a really, really strong program for us. Once you move out of the nationals, which is to say once you've won nationally, then you move to the international awards. And that happens every year in June. And when I came into the organization, this is not my doing, my team and our volunteers did it, we were ending a seven-year drought where Canadians had not won a single award. And frankly, we were often the only non-American contender up there, although now there's a few more internationals there, which is great. And so through the hard work of my colleague Debbie Prince and some others, Kim Saunders, and Marie Gavremont, who are past chairs, we found that there were some really small little glitches in the system, which were not deliberate, but that were putting us at a disadvantage because of our cycle in Canada is a bit different. So we fixed those. We started really investing in our Canadian candidates. And after a seven-year drought, we walk into the Bowman International Awards a few years ago, and we walked away with, I wanna say four or five out of 18 awards. Awesome, incredible. Well, that's gratifying. Okay. And then, but we come back the next year. Well, guess what? We walk away with two or three, and the next year, four or five again. And we have won awards every single year since that happened. So, what does it say? It says, look, the organization was advocating on behalf of its members and making sure we deliver for them. But really, what it says is that Canadian buildings are literally world beaters, literally world beaters. And the proofs in the pudding here in Toronto a few years ago, in sort of the granddaddy category, which is the million square foot plus. Property Management Award, TD Center won that award. And it was a fantastic achievement for an enormous amount of work by David Hoffman, who's now moved on to a different company, and others. So it's a fantastic success story. And we'll go to Philadelphia this year, and I fully expect that we'll continue our five or six-year run of award winnings.
0: Well, especially four to five out of 18 is outperforming on a population or per capita Basis That would be not just be against the Americans, that would be the other countries you mentioned that have a BOMA representation?
2: Yeah, so one year we won five, if memory serves, five out of 14 that we were entrance in, plus four we weren't even entering, and we just didn't happen to have a building in those categories. So we really cleaned up. And yeah, I mean, it has been a heavily American competition, but you're starting to see buildings from Mexico, from China, Russia, there was some from Armenia, strangely enough, a few years, So so more and more there's more competition coming in.
0: And the Raptors had their big run back in June. There was rumblings among sports fans that the rest didn't want to see a non-U.S. team win. You know, maybe there's something similar
2: going on here. Well, we're winning, though. We're (laughs) winning. But I will tell you to that point in a moment of awesomeness, when we started winning, I think, I forget how many awards we won last year. I think four. All of a sudden, the giant We the North flag came out of one corner of the room, of the ballroom, (laughs) and and people were chanting We the North. (laughs) That's perfect. Yeah, yeah.
1: Well, Ben, thanks so much for coming on. That was a wonderful conversation. Learned a ton. Clearly, there's a lot of advocacy, a lot of things you're doing for the industry. For anybody that wants to reach out to Ben, contact information will be in the show notes as well as you've referenced a whole bunch of different things. So maybe we'll put links to websites and different reports that you've got produced. But thank you again for coming on. Of course, I want to thank First National for powering the podcast. My co-host, Adam, as always. Thank you. Thanks, guys. That's great.
2: Thank you for listening to the CRE Podcast.